You're listening to part 2 of Looking Back to the 90s and Noughties with Neil Humphreys. How would Manchester United's dominance compare to City's dominance today? Wow. Well, I, I, well, firstly, I think it's very different. I'm, I'm much more comfortable with United's dominance then, if you like, than I am with mm. City's dominance now. Because I, it's I remember organic. writing a piece for the Straits Times in about 2000 and and saying, oh, we've got to start panicking because, man, you are dominating everything and this is terrible for English football. You read that piece now and it looks a bit naive because they won the league by a few points. Big deal. Man City are going to win everything and it's terrifying. And it's, in my humble opinion, and I think most smart, rational fans will say the same thing. There's nothing positive about this level of dominance. They're going to buy Declan Rice. I've got no doubt about this. I've said it on my podcast. I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks. I just wrote a piece yesterday. They are going to buy Declan Rice. Why? Because they can. For no other reason. They don't need him. They have Rodri. They've got Kovacic that they've just bought. They've got Phillips as backup. They don't need him. But it's that classic, well, if I have him, my rivals don't have him. And that's good enough. Arsenal need him. It's obvious they need him. Arteta is building a side around a player like um, Rice. It's so obvious. I think that, I think he's going to go to Man City. Now, yes, Man U, 1999. They were dominant. They were the biggest club in the world. They was a rich club. In the, they were one of the richest clubs in the world. Not the richest. They still didn't have yeah. the money to compete with Barcelona and especially yeah, Real Madrid, Madrid back then. Yeah, Madrid, Not then. Manchester City can blow anybody out of the water. Anybody financially, man, you couldn't. Number one, uh, number two, there was still with the other clubs in the EPL, there was a certain closeness that's not there yeah. anymore. Yep, number three, and this is what's often forgotten. And I, I had to show my daughter this on YouTube, I had to remind her because she's a Man City fan, I had to remind her how close the treble actually was in '99. I showed yeah. her the famous Arsenal uh, FA Cup game where. One Peter Schmeichel penalty save doesn't happen. Yeah. It's all over. Yeah. You know, when Phil True. Neville makes that that really lazy, tired tackle in the FA Cup, mm. Schmeichel saves a penalty. Giggs does his thing, takes his shirt off, looks like Planet of the Apes with all that hair. <laughs> and the rest is history. But even then, the league title is not decided until the final day. They had to beat, was it Newcastle or Tottenham? Tottenham, I think, right? Tottenham, Tottenham. Right, and then they get the final. Okay, that was a bit more routine. FA Cup final. Yeah, that was that. that was the most routine one. The Correct. FA Cup final. Yeah. But every and in the Champions League, Champions League they, yeah. they were terrible. By their own admission, they were terrible. Yeah. Bayern Munich should have won that game two or three nil. Yeah. They hit a crossbar. They was completely dominant. Man, you rabbits in the headlights. They were overwhelmed. Even, even the semi-finals of the Champions League, the first leg. I didn't watch that, but I know the first leg. I've read about it that. United weren't playing well. They needed a late, late equaliser to draw against Juventus. And then second leg, they were losing 2-0. Came back from that to beat Juventus. And you know, Juventus at that time was really one of the best teams in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So... And Roy Keane, so uh, you know, famously had to have the game of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, very <clears throat> selflessly after he'd got already got the yellow card, I think. So he knew yeah. he was going to miss the final and he has the game of his life. But that's what you Roy want. Calls, that's yeah. what you want. Man, you fans might not want it at the time because it's heart attack time. 
But everybody <laughs> else, that's what you want. You want competition. You want jeopardy. You want fear. You want terror. You want excitement. You want a roller coaster ride. This yep. is not a roller coaster with Manchester City. <clears throat> it's a procession. Mm. And uh, no, to me, there's nothing in it. Objectively, the the 99 treble, it had everything you wanted. It had jeopardy. It had competition. It was close. Loads of drama. How much drama was there really this season? Once Saliba got injured at Arsenal, right. once uh, Sinchenko got uh, injured, all of the weaknesses in Arsenal became clear. And you realised to their credit, they'd been overachieving for most of the season. But once they had a couple of injuries, it was done. Mm. City, when, when they were second, they, they also knew that they can catch up and and take over Arsenal and then win the championship after that. You know, they were 100%. So, and it was 100%. just the media and just the media playing, oh, Arsenal, can they still do this? Yeah, yeah. But everyone knows Man City is going to take over and then, yeah. 100%. It, well, we said on the podcast, I mean, I think until the injuries, Arsenal's performances collectively all had to be seven, eight, nine out of 10 every right. week. Yeah. Man yeah. City never played that well before Christmas. They just didn't. They were, you know, dealing with Haaland and acclimatizing, recalibrating. But Man City are such a level that six out of 10 is enough. Five out of 10 is enough most weeks. It's mm. enough for them. It's pretty bloody boring for the rest of us. Uh, give me the 90s right. any day give me the 90s yeah for sure okay so you came to Singapore in which year? 96 96 okay so when you came to Singapore first question I got to ask you is what was your impression of locals supporting foreign national teams when you came to international tournaments you know that a lot of people support yeah, England yeah, yeah. so foreign what was your first teams, impression right? yeah. yeah I didn't I didn't have a a problem with it. I, I, it made sense to me. If if your national team is not there, and you want to have an interest, you've got mm. to support someone, right? I mean, yeah. whatever it is. So no, I didn't have a problem with that. The only problem I had with the whole, it wasn't supporting another nation. It was not supporting your own nation that I had a problem with. And as I've said mm. before, one of the inspirations for my novel Match Fixer was going to those Man U Liverpool games in Singapore in 2001 and seeing Singapore fans at the old National Stadium at Kallang cheering Man U and then booing Singapore. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, the Angmo in me, I just couldn't get that. I couldn't accept that. And even in the press box, and I don't care if this upsets other journalists, uh, they didn't seem to have a big problem with that. They said, oh, it's only a bit of fun, bit of fun. It's not a bit of fun, is it? They've paid money as football fans and they're booing their own team. And I and I tell you this, guys, I know for an absolute fact, I'm not naming names, but I know the players didn't like it either. Why would you? You're playing yeah. for Singapore. You're a lion. You're proud to be representing your country and your fellow Singaporeans are booing you. I, I, I know this because they've told me. Um, when Liverpool and, came and, as well they were singing you'll never walk alone in the national stadium against Singapore yeah yeah and uh, you know that, that's you, you, you say that we it's mad <laughs> and, and people say well what do you expect they're Man U fans they're no Man one U sings fans. the national fine. anthem it's during the, the national games <laughs> yeah Man U attack you cheer Li uh, Singapore attack Singapore you attack. cheer win-win yeah, win-win yeah. Yeah. Win, yeah that's fine no yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. exactly exactly that is fine yeah, yeah. 
And I'll have to say, I'm not just saying this because I know where Rasvinda is from, but I'm not just saying this, but I also (laughs) covered the game in Bukit Jalil a week before when it was Malaysia against uh, Man U. And I think the score, it was closer than Singapore's score. I think it was five. I'm going to say five, but I might be wrong. I know it was seven when they played. Was this in 2001? Yeah, 2001. Singapore. What was it? Oh, yeah. Singapore was eight. Eight one. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's right. But when I was at Bukit Jalil, I can guarantee I was there. The atmosphere was different. It was different. It wasn't the same. There was cheering for both. It, it was completely different. The football, I'll say it. I've said it before. The football culture is different on both sides of the causeway. It just is. And we have to accept that. And in Singapore, which was your first local match that you watched? Well, like, like I said from the start, support your local team. I lived in Topayu, so Ballastir was across the road. I lived in Lorong 8, and Ballastir, of course, was near Topo Central. And uh, and it would have been, it was within about a week of me arriving. So it would have been late November 1996. And it was Ballastir Central, as they was called then. Yeah. I can't remember who they played, but I know, <clears throat> I think it was 3 1 or 3 2. But what I do remember is it was packed. And it nah. was so packed that they, as, as you guys remember, they had to put extra seating around the sides on the running track to get about three, three and a half thousand in. And now that one crappy old stand, the concrete stand is enough. Yeah. And it's it's just yeah. uncles, you know, checking 4D. It's it's a waste of time. <laughs> but, but, and I don't even think they, they even opened the seats on the other side. I don't even know if they're there anymore, but they had the seats all around the athletics track. And it was packed. Mm. It was about three and a half thousand. And it was brilliant. 96, so the S League was only two years old then. And so, you're no, no. good crowds at all stadiums. Ninety six was the first year of the S League. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, yeah. It's ninety six. Sorry, yes, ninety six. Sorry, yes, ninety six was the first year. Yeah. And what was it that you like about local football back then? Just that. And that it was local. And what is it that you, what what do you not like about local football from back then? In Singapore, was there anything? Yeah. In Singapore. Back then, I can honestly say, I'm not just, you know, being nostalgic. There wasn't much I didn't like about local football. In fact, I've written about this in my first book. I I like the fact that there was a little bit of local tribalism. Not much, but I mean, Home United and and the the uniform, you know, SAFSA, SAF, they hated each other. CFFC. And everybody hated them because they were the government (laughs) teams. They were uniform teams. So that was great. So you had the Man U and Liverpool of Singapore. And everybody hating the man you in Liverpool of Singapore. So that was fantastic. And then, you had my, and, yeah, and then you had Ballastir, which was kind of Topo, working class, heartland, like West Ham. So it mm. had a, you know, sort of multiracial vibes like East London. So I identified with that. And um, so Ballastir were my local team for a while there. And interestingly, you know, Ballastir has always had a strong Indian community element. You know, there's Indian owners yeah. and so on. And of course, East London is predominantly Indian. It was when I was growing mm. up. So you had that Upton Park was predominantly Indian and still is. So oh. um, so um, you had that nice sort of connection to it. So I like that. And it was just as an Angmore from England, There's, there's. I was so lucky looking back because I was a teacher and I was a football fan. So there's no better way to ingratiate yourself into a new culture quickly than to go to 20 different schools in different parts of the country, kindergarten, primary, secondary, JC, which I did, all of that, and at the same time going across the country to see different football matches. 
So it was great. There was no negatives. In fact, I love the sense of humor that, you know, Singapore, as they say, oh, they're so boring. But the sense of humor in the football stadiums was just like in England football stadiums. I remember this, when I used to go to Tungjong Paga, there was this guy who has the big drum, you know, the big Chinese drum. That yeah, they, yeah. And every time an opposition player went down injured, he would play the funeral beat on his <laughs> the Chinese funeral beat. And I just used to think that was hilarious. You know, people would be crying with laughter. You know, the guy's dead. Let's get the funeral going. So I used to, I used to love that and the whole referee Caillou and Kelong and, and all that. So mm. I have, truthfully, I have no real negative memories of local football in the 90s. The stadiums mm. were packed. It was uh, multi-generational. You would see kids, grandparents in the early days. It's great. It's great. Fast forward, right, fast forward to, to, to what is happening uh, right now. You see, 96, so many good memories. Mm. Um, you know, in fact, when I was younger, I used to go to... So my place is Marine Castle um, and Haugang Stadium. Yeah, that's and, where I go now. I go there yeah. now because I live in Senkang. So now I right, go to Haugang. Yeah, yeah, so Haugang, yeah. So technically, Ras and I have been going to the wrong stadium for a while, but uh, that's another story. Uh, but um, fast forward to the football right now, um, and and you know what has been written, what has been said. Um, let's say Neil, man, you've been in Singapore for what over twenty years now. Let's say you've given the keys to Singapore football, mm. FAS or unleash the raw, give you the keys. How would you go about it? How how would you change it, or how would you run it? Um, and what needs to be addressed? Well, we 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 all know what needs to be done. It's 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 having the balls to do it. That's the tough part. So what you do is you work backwards. What's the number one problem? The number one problem is the majority race doesn't really play the sport enough, which is the Chinese, 70, 75% of the population. We got to deal with that. So why do they not play? They have very good reasons for not playing. If I was a Kiasu parent, I'd probably be the same. There's not enough money, there's no career path, there's no pathway. So you've got to work backwards from that. Forget everything unless you can get corporate involvement. Now, there's only two ways, really, you can do that. You have to do it publicly or privately, right? It's not rocket science. So the Lion City Sailors has got the only workable model, I think. And we've just seen this week that Geelong may be privatized. Right. That's the way it's got to be done. Now, I don't know. Call me a cynic. I don't know if there's any government pressure on these nice China chalkes who set up shop in Singapore. I don't know, but there actually should be. There should be. Because when, at the end of the Malaysia Can Cup, I you're right, Malaysia Cup was 94. Yeah, when Malaysia Cup ended in 94, right? S-League starts 96. In the early yeah. days of the S-League, there was government pressure because it was saving face, right? We don't want to look silly in front of the Malaysians. So in the early days, there was government pressure. If you look at the early sponsors of the early S-League clubs, big names like Sony and JVC and all of this because it doesn't hurt for a government to say to GLCs, one million here, one million there, yeah, one million. it's yeah. pocket change. Right. We can do this today. Correct. And your MNCs wouldn't even notice it. Your GLCs wouldn't even notice. They all have, you know this, they all have funds. They all have social governance crap that they have to do. So they could pay a couple of million. They wouldn't even notice it. So there needs to either be two things. You either need the private guys our China friends, or you need the government telling our China friends or telling our big businesses or advising our big businesses, 
to support the local clubs. That is a very simple solution. Three, four, five million dollars per club per season would take care of it just like that. And it is pocket change. But what are you seeing instead? You're seeing Comfort Delgro, our company that gives jobs to Singaporean taxi drivers, giving money to the festival of football that is coming up between <laughs> Liverpool and relegated Leicester and Leicester. Tottenham. And, I know because I've got the emails. Yeah. Fest, have you seen it? Festival, yes, yes, of, festival football, of football. Yeah. Sponsored by... Bayern that? Munich is also, it's also PDG here. PDG app, the app. They're trying to promote their app, right? The Comfort Delgro yeah. yeah. taxi app. So they can sponsor a couple of training camps of a few overweight, yeah. retired Liverpool footballers, but they can't sponsor local football. Why? This is a long answer, but why? Because honestly, I don't think there's the public interest. And if there's not the public interest, then why should they waste taxpayer dollars on something that's not going to affect the vote at the next election? The deeper issue, guys, is... So that's the answer. The answer is quite straightforward. The deeper issue is, why don't they do it then? Why don't they get a few GLCs or companies to say, right, you two million, you two million, you two million, sponsor the eight clubs, six and clubs. this could be whatever. under like CSR, corporate social responsibility right. coming here. Because I just don't think there's the will. I then why have why have local teams then? If if this is if this is the case, then why have local teams? Why why come up with initiatives? You know, you get what I'm trying to say. They wanna they wanna send our team to the World Cup again. I don't know which year now, but it doesn't make yeah, yeah. sense. You know, one plus one is not two to them. I don't no, know. No, I agree. Going. I agree. There's a com- I, I completely agree. There's a complete contradiction here. On the one hand, you've got this unleash the raw project that has some government funding, but it feels a bit one arm tied behind the back, almost two arms tied behind the back. You're doing it with a little finger. It's like you either go in properly with full public private support or frankly, don't bother. I have my theories, conspiracy theories, if you like, of why they're, they're, they're showing face, if you like, to certain communities right. to keep them on side. But right. I, I just don't feel there is a corporate will for this to happen. They're putting more interest and investment in the bloody, what was this thing we've got at the moment? The stupid, um, not stupid, I shouldn't say games, stupid. E-games, e-sports. Yeah, yeah, that, right? Because yeah. what we need in Singapore, what we need in Singapore, right, is another reason for children not to go out. Yes. That's what we need. Yes. You know, obesity is on the rise. Right. Diabetes is on the rise. You know, kidney issues are on the rise. But what we need in Singapore is another reason for kids to sit at home all day doing this. <laughs> I personally think it's nonsense. And I know the I know the counter arguments. Oh, you know, they do the cycling and they do the Formula <laughs> One and they do this and they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same. That's the same as running around a cage for 90 minutes. Yeah, that's the same. Then with the academies and stuff, Neil, with all these academies, I think Real Madrid is here, Barcelona is here, Liverpool uh, Academy is here, Chelsea. You know, I think a lot of, uh, and also a lot of grassroots academies, you know, I, th- I feel that I'm seeing like more parents willing, willing are willing to send their kids to these academies. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is also a good step to the, in the future. It's not a bad step, yeah. but a lot of these academies cater to a lot of uh, wealthy young moors. <laughs> and uh, expats and uh, Atas, you know, Singaporeans. Okay. And that's fine. There's there's right. nothing wrong with that. Great. Right. They're playing football. Fantastic. 
But are any of these kids seriously going to go into it as right. a career? And more importantly, how many of them are actually Singaporean? Right. Because if you go down to the grandstand or some of the, as you mentioned, the international football academies, I know my daughter's friends uh, play in them. They're great. Mm-hmm. And I've I've met some of the Real Madrid coaches. They're fantastic. And they think most of the coaching over here is terrible. But they think they're great. But I've seen the kids train. And looking at them, I would say maybe only, I'm just looking at their faces. Yeah. Most of them are European, the kids. But they don't right. don't look more than about 20%, 30% local. Right. So, and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But is that really going to get Singapore to the World Cup? <laughs> I don't know. Unless also we get speaking... all these Spani- Spanish and Italian expat <laughs> kids to become Singaporean, I don't know. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. But speaking about coach, yeah, the funny thing about Singapore as well, they went out, they got this extensive search uh, for a new coach. And then they went out, got a Japanese coach from a university league or, you know, an under-18 coach or something. And this guy is going to coach the national team, which doesn't he's make... already too... coaching the national team. Oh, he's already, yeah, sorry. He's already coaching the national team. And you saw what happened a couple of weeks ago against Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands. Um, you know, if you speak to some uncles at a coffee shop and you tell them Papua New Guinea, they'll be like, where is this? What, what is this? Country or what? Malaysia, Malaysia beat one of them, right? Ten one, yeah. yeah. Solomon, yeah, I think Solomon. Daniel, and we Papua were struggling, yeah. And we were struggling against them, and the coach is getting booed. Um, what, what's the link to this? That you know, what, what do you feel? Uh, did we get it wrong again, or it's like the top people, not football people? Honestly, I mean, I you're right. I mean, obviously, I know who the coach is, and I've read about him. His resume is not. You know, look, we are where we are in the FIFA world rankings. Pep Guardiola is not going to answer our phone calls. You get what you get when you are where you are. And there's an element of we're just shifting deck chairs around the Titanic. It's not really going to make much difference. No matter how many times we move the deck chairs, it's still the Titanic. Still going to so sink. It's... And I don't blame the manager and I certainly don't blame the players. I always right. say that. I'm a broken record. My argument has always been I don't blame the 11 boys on the pitch. I blame the 2 million boys who are not on the pitch. You know, at least the 11 boys are there. They're trying. They've obviously got some parental support to do it. God bless them. They're doing it. My concern is the millions who are not doing it. So... I, I don't, the, tr- the truth is, I know the answer. I've already told you the answer. I know what we need to do. You know what we need to do. But I just don't see out on the street as we destroy the grandstand at the end of the year, as we pull down the Kranji Turf Club, another sports facility, as we take down Farrah Park, as we He's take down, down. Yeah, Park yeah. And Salita playing spaces, and we put nice shiny condos and aerospace parks and everything else. I think it's pretty clear where our priorities are in Singapore. If this is the case, why don't like, uh, yeah, why don't we just shift to futsal? I mean, like that, that's a that's a practical like it's more smaller five aside. You know, maybe we should just focus our attention on futsal instead of eleven aside football. You know, I think you're right. You know, in all seriousness, I actually think you're right because I remember when I first came to Singapore. You know, I'm a lanky beanpole, and I used to play goalkeeper and centre back badly. And I used to play 
futsal on my HDB block when I lived in Topo with the local boys, the local mutts. And I used to play with it. And it was embarrassing. They would right. run rings around me because I'm tall. Yeah. It is like, we mentioned the Titanic. It's like, I'm a tanker and they're sampans. And they're just <laughs> zipping around me. And they're, they're lower center of gravity. Yeah. They're faster. They're quicker. I'm a Tony Adams. I can't turn like that. <laughs> so they're so set up to play that game. And I'm so not set up right. to play that game. Right. I am effing awful at futsal. I, I mean, I look like the world's worst footballer. That's why I just don't do it because I embarrass myself. So I've I've agreed with you for the longest time. It doesn't take up much space. Right. Our genetics, our physiques, mm -hmm. correct. Our you know our climate and blah 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 is much more suited to those quick fire intense mm -hmm. games you would think. Right. Than the big slower lumbering eleven aside formats. I'm with you. I, I I don't know why that hasn't. And then of course you've got the other elements of sepak takraw and yeah. and certain tech other ball. elements. Where now there's a, there's a new tech ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that is that's coming well, up now. Yeah, really, really. Hundred percent. Well, there's clearly a skills overlap. So I don't know. I I agree with you completely. Yeah. Right. Right. Last question here. I I think you answered it earlier as well. But do you feel that? The current crop of players, the local boys, like I know you say the eleven boys you really respect them, but do you think they are a bit too big for their shoes? Um, you know, I mean, stepping out against um uh, teams like Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands, they might have just underestimated their opponents mm. and they got a reality check. Well, yes, certainly we got a reality check. I, I I wouldn't necessarily say they're too big for their boots. I have come across footballers in the past who were. Um, I I don't know these boys well enough to to comment on that. I wouldn't say that. I just feel that as the talent pool, it look in the last ten years post lines twelve, which was a disaster. In my humble opinion, yep, it was yep. a disaster. I said at the time we shouldn't have gone back into the Malaysian league. And I still stand by it. I still think we are dealing with the consequences of line 12, lines 12. Because what essentially happened was, if you remember, silly idea, got lots of headlines. We put all our eggs in one basket, lines 12. And while we did that, all of the a lot of the academies of the other clubs declined. Attendances mm. went down. Talent recruitment went down. And the S-League suffered. I mean, it almost collapsed, if you remember. Yeah. The attendances of the S-League were dead. They were nothing. Gone. Over. I still think we're building back from that. And so the good period we had in the late 90s and early 2000s under Raddy Avramovich, that was really because the S-League was doing well. This is what people forget. We were getting a good quality of foreigner. We were getting a good quality of coach. And we were therefore attracting better younger players to come through and they were working with better foreign players and coaches. It was win, 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 win across the board. Then we all go into Lions 12 and we become Kampong again. Mm -hmm. To me, we become Kampong. We become parochial. So where have you got, to use an opposite example, where you've got JDT across the causeway, they're trying to go all over the world, right? Yeah. We try and sneak back into Malaysia. <laughs> they're going past Malaysia and we're trying to get back into Malaysia. And so because of that, we still got to, you know, change our vision. It's all Malaysia, 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 Malaysia Cup. But if you look at what Malaysia's trying to do, what Johor's trying to do, yeah. what the it's Philippines are trying to do, they're looking beyond their borders, yeah. beyond their region. That's what we lost. 
So I think it's going to take, it is going to take time just to get back to where we were. And I don't know, it needs patience, time, and quite a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, from there, then you can, the support will come and then everything, the, the traction will hopefully come. Um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah but look, good. look, look, I always say this, you know, I do a podcast. The response has been amazing. Look at us. We're three guys sitting here 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night and we're talking about local football. There are people out there who still care. There are people out there who are still passionate. You know, you guys organize the football tournaments. They're they're packed out uh, on a sort of leisure level, amateur yeah. hobby level. People are still playing football in Singapore in huge numbers. There are positives to take. There are still kids playing. They're still signing up for the academies, whether it's private or active SG. Unleash the Raw are linking up with academies, with schools, which is the right thing to do. You guys are organizing tournaments. There are positives. You know, we shouldn't forget that. Right, 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 right. All right, Neil. So I think Russ, early on, uh, the intro, he said, radio jockey, author, um, podcaster. Uh, what else, Russ? Did I miss anything, Neil? Anything else? Uh, Pundit. Pundit, Pundit as well. Teacher. Have you tried commentary as well? No, 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 uh, no. Okay. I, maybe that's 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 in a pipeline for you. Uh, I was I was asked to consider it once, right. but uh, right, right. So I just want to ask you, Neil, why why do you do what you do? Well, it's very simple. I mean, I'm very fortunate, lucky. I'm still hanging on after twenty plus years that I'm still fortunate. I'm in this crazy situation where I get to write, which is my first love. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I've only ever wanted to be a writer. I do lots of other stuff as well, but writing is primarily what I do, what I am. And a lot of the time I get to do it about football. So, you know, to be paid to watch and write about football, I mean, to be paid over the years to spend it's a dream five weeks in Brazil covering the World Cup or two weeks in Portugal or two weeks in Paris, there are worse ways to earn a living. You know, when I was 11 years old, I was working in my grandfather's cafe in East London, being shouted at by Irish construction workers and uh, cleaning the toilets. So there are better jobs to do, uh, but there's not many. <laughs> so as long right. as people keep asking me to do it, I'll keep doing it. All right. Russ? All right. Great. Uh, Neil, just the last last question before we round up the show. I saw on your book, The Match Fixer, mm -hmm. fascinating title. I believe there's some elements of truth in it. You might have had some stories. I don't know if you've had uh, interviewed anyone related to that topic, but any stories you got to share about that period of Kelongism or match fixing in Singapore football. <laughs> yeah, well, I can actually tell you who the major match fixer was when I was a journalist, and his name was. <laughs> yeah, that's who it was. No, look, I still live in Singapore. I still got to live in the world, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, look, I can, look. Yeah, there's many stories. Yes, I've covered match fixing stories. Yes, I've covered games like an idiot that were fixed and I didn't know until the next day. I remember working at the Straits Times and like an idiot, it was something like, I'll make it up. 
it was, let's say it was 2-0 or 3-0 or something. And then there were like four or five goals in the last five minutes. And moron yeah. here, who didn't understand how betting worked and didn't follow Singapore pools, didn't know that if you get nine plus goals, you hit the jackpot, right? So I wrote this match report completely blur straight saying, oh, you know, fatigue must have played a part as the defence collapsed in the final seven minutes and conceded four goals. The youth and inexperience showed as blah, 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 you know, right? And then the next day I speak to other <clears throat> journalists and they say, yeah, that one was fixed. Didn't you know? I was like, no, funny <laughs> enough, I didn't. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put it this way. I know people, I, I know of people, I knew of people within the industry, shall we say, who would go and bet on games in advance, knowing mm -hmm. that they might be. And they'd play goals. You know, the classic, you do the five, six, seven, eight, nine, you do the first four to cover, and then you hopefully get nine and you hit the jackpot. So you either cover your losses and, and break even, or if you get the big one, yeah, I, I've met a referee in, in who said he covered a fixed match and didn't know until afterwards because he wasn't involved in the fix. I Well, what I can say, you can Google him afterwards. I don't want to say his name on air, but there was a former uh, S-League manager who wrote a book about it. So all you've got to do, and it was published by Marshall Cavendish, which is my publisher. Mm -hmm. So if you just Google S-League manager Marshall Cavendish, it will come up. And he talks about people offering money in coffee shops, um, asking him any latest news on injuries and asking him for his first 11. Um, and these were bookies. These were illegal bookies, bookies runners, trying to get inside information before the game. It was much more prevalent then, I have to say, uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, and it seems to be now. And you know the mm. saddest reason for it? I would like to say it's because the government's cleaned up and all of that. And it, and it is. I mean, they did. You know, they arrested Dan Tarn and a few of the other guys. They did kind of wipe out that last syndicate in about 2013. They did do that. So I've got to do my government thing. Well done, CPIB. Woohoo. Right. <laughs> so they did do all of that. But there's a part of me that thinks that the Singapore football now, there's so little interest that even the match fixes can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't be bothered because there's not oh, enough interest from punters, yeah, yeah. from gamblers. That's my only, that's my theory. Because if there was an interest, they would do it. They would, yeah. they would try and fix anything. I just think they're like, hey, Kela, nobody cares. So why bother? Yeah, it's too yeah. much effort. Yeah. We, we go fix a different league. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Many, many. Thanks, stories. Neil. Thanks, Neil, no, for sharing pleasure. all your all your thoughts, memories, a lot of fascinating stories as well, amusing ones and and uh, some not too amusing, but okay, it's all good, man. It's been a good <laughs> fun. It's been a long show as well, you know. I might break hey, into before, two half, hey, in two parts, hey, you know, hey, this one. Russ, yeah. before you go, I just want to know, I just, sorry, I just want to let you know, there was one player for West Ham when I was growing up, his name was Thomas Repka. Yeah. Oh. And, and that guy is one of the maddest looking defender I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he was shocking. He was, <laughs> he was absolutely shocking. Tough man. Tough man. He, and he was just after the time we had this famous player called uh, Marco Boogers. Now, Marco Boogers, I must tell you, he was one of those guys that Harry Redknapp bought from a video. He just saw a video of him, a, a VHS tape. 
Right. He bought him for peanuts. He knew within about 20 minutes of his debut that he was the worst signing he'd ever made. He tried to cut Gary Neville in half in one of the worst fouls you've ever seen. Just type in after this podcast, anyone listening, type in Marco Boogers, Gary Neville. It is the worst foul you'll ever see. He was given an instant red card. He never played for West Ham again. He disappeared. Nobody could find him. When he was still a West Ham player, and it turned out they found him in the countryside living in a caravan while he was still a West Ham player. These is the kind of crap players that West Ham... These are the kind of things you won't get into this football. Remember remember Ali Dia from uh, Southampton? Yeah, it was like so, that. So-called so called George, uh, George Villa's cousin. Yeah, that was West Ham's Ali Dia, yeah. Ended up yeah. living in a caravan. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Only All West right. Ham gets this kind of crap. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of stories you get, right, in the 90s. Fascinating, yeah, great, great stories. Okay, Neil, do you want to plug in your books and where people can find you or where can they buy your books from? Oh, just, yeah. I mean, I have an Inspector Low crime thriller series, which you can see there. Uh, four novels. They're in all good bookstores all over the world. Um, lots of fun. And you can just read my football columns at Yahoo every week. All right. That's nice. Okay, then, guys. This is me, Ras, signing off. Kel, peace yeah. out. Cheers. Peace out, man. Good night. Take care.